Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. I have been doing a lot of soul-searching, reading, educating myself on race after the death of George Floyd. I'm trying to understand how we got to this point, how Black people keep getting murdered time and again, how pervasive, institutionalized, systemic racism has affected this country. I asked my friend Natasha Hemingway to have an open conversation with me about racism. These conversations are hard and they're uncomfortable, but they're also just what we need to do. Natasha was willing to have the conversation and she really explains why this work is so important. This is not about a hashtag or a black swear. This is a process of undoing, unlearning, and soul searching. I'm seeing a lot of black warrior women like Natasha doing incredible work educating us on white privilege, white supremacy, and how to be actively anti-racist. I hope this conversation moves you to action in your own life. Thank you so much for joining me, Natasha Hemingway. Thank you. You are so welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here and having this conversation. I know. And you know what? This conversation could only happen for me with you because I've gotten to know you more closely over just this last little while. And I care about you so deeply. And we we work together. We podcast together. We're in a little group together. We just, we've been getting to know each other. So when all of this started coming to a head, I, Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm starting to have my eyes opened to a lot of things I didn't really look at before. I thought I need to make sense of this and I need to hear what Natasha thinks. And I need to know what she feels about this time. So I really am so glad to have you here. And I Thank mean, maybe, you. maybe, should we start with that? I think maybe let's talk about just like sure. how you're feeling about this time. Like, is there a part of you that's hopeful? Is there a part of you that's like, this is insane? I, I mean, I just, how are you feeling? Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for caring enough to want to have this conversation because I truly believe that this is the first step into us really starting to move towards change is just having the hard conversations. Like we have been walking around for so long, not having these hard conversations amongst each other, amongst the people we love, amongst people that we do business with or work with or friends with. So thank you for doing this for your community um, and for me for asking me. So when I think about, I think we are now in week four of this. Yes. We're in week four of this from when, things really just like blew up the week of May 25th with the George Floyd. Um, The word that I first came out with as a lot of my white girlfriends were asking me, how are you feeling? Hey, I love you. I want to reach out to you. How are you? The word that came up for me, Liz, is heavy. It is, it's about the only word that encompassed all of my emotions in one word, because I think 
for me as a black woman, these things are triggering, they're painful, it's traumatic. And especially when something keeps happening and happening and happening, right? So for me, it's like so many words that you don't even know what you can get out. And so the word that I have been saying is heavy. And I feel like, however, though, the more I've had these conversations with white friends or acquaintances or white women that I'm in communities with where I'm the only black or one of very few black people, um, the word that I've shifted towards is, and I've been saying this and I've created a hashtag around it where I feel like I'm moving from heavy to hopeful because I'm an Enneagram 2 I'm a wing three, wing one. They're like neck and neck. And so the Enneagram two is the helper. That's just who I am and is my to my core, my fiber, my being is to help others, serve others, um, it, be there for others. And it's like, it's so hard when you're that person, but yeah. yet you feel so heavy. And so my soul longs to be in hopeful versus heavy. Yes. And so I had to start processing, how do I move myself from heavy to hopeful? And really one of the greatest pieces of that has been having the hard conversations. Because when a white woman comes to me and says, hey, I don't know, but I want to do better. I want to be better. Or any couple of words, like it could be, I'm standing with you. I see you. I hear you. I am not ignoring this. I'm not going away. It's that allows me to feel hopeful because never before has anyone been having these hard conversations. Right. Yeah. So it feels like people don't care because they're not talking about it. Well, I mean, they're uncomfortable. These are yes. uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me. I, I have the privilege of not thinking about race. I just, right. just not thinking about it. I thought, well, I'm not racist. I'm not, I, I, f I believe in diversity. I love black people. I don't, I, but then I didn't understand that yeah. that's because I'm not worried that if my son walks out the door and has a hoodie on, someone mm. may kill him with a thing of Skittles in his hand. Right. I, I right. did not connect those dots. Now that I connect those dots, now yeah. I'm terrified. Now I'm terrified for the world. Now I'm terrified for everybody's sons, black, black, black sons, black daughters, black women. Now I'm terrified. So now my eyes are kind of like, boom, you know, like it's shot right. open. But right. a lot of white people, we really were not thinking about it like that. We were not, right. we were being, we were ignorant. We were, we were blinded by white privilege is all. The only thing I can think of we're blinded by, I just, or just ignorance, ignorance. Right. Blinded right. by that. But these yeah. are hard conversations because guess what? The finger goes back to me. The finger goes right. back to me. You know, black right. people are not causing racism. Hello? Right. <laughs> exactly. It's the white people. So then you're like, oh, damn, it's my problem. I mean, you know, it's, it's. I mean, I'm joking, but I'm right not on. joking. Like when I realized that, when I was like, oh, it's my problem. Who else yes. is fix this? Yeah, Liz, that level of awareness right there, not the defensiveness, not the, well, that doesn't concern me. Not That's why you get it on such a deep level. And that's why you're like, Tasha, we need to have these hard conversations. That's why you've been posting on your Instagram and enlightening your audience, which is compromised of mostly white women, I would assume. Yes. And because it's where you live, your you know your environment, your community, your friends, right? It just starts to happen that way, and it's like 
But that is the level of awareness. It's where it's where you start when someone says something and instead of you seeing it through a lens of it's not my problem, it doesn't stop, it doesn't come to my front door, um, it doesn't affect my family, and I don't know how to fix it, I don't want to get involved with it, that, that makes me uncomfortable. Any of those things that you use, or even the worst, the defensiveness, it, you, you're not able to be like you said, where your eyes are just like, whoa, wide awake. But the minute that we drop the guard and the defense, and you actually start hearing from your heart, and you get your heart involved, it hits different. It hits different. And once you've seen something or you've heard something, you can't unsee it or unhear it, right? Right. Now you are changed. And then it's a question of now, what are you going to do? Yes. What are you going to do? And we've been doing a little work, you and I, with Dr. Fran uh, Oates. Is it Oates? Bates? Bates Oates. I think it's Bates Oates. Um, She asked a question on the call because she does a course uh, in kind of educating people about racism, but really from a teaching perspective. But right. she asked the question, when's the first time you knew you were white? And I was like, <laughs> no one has ever asked me that question in my entire life. Never. Right. Never have I even thought about that. But since we've been talking about that, I was I was expressing to you and some other people, all these new things I was thinking about, like I was thinking about, well, I, I knew I was white when I, I got assigned a black pen pal. And she was this girl and she lived in New York City and I lived in the suburbs and her school was all black and my school was all white. And I thought, this is yep. the greatest thing in the universe. When we went to visit, I couldn't wait to know everything about her. I, we right. had so much in common. I couldn't even wait. We went on a field trip. But when we got to the field trip to, down to New York, I forget her school. It was like PS 106, I think was her school mm-hmm. in New York. We were all a little nervous because we. this is new, right? Like- we didn't right. have a black friend. We were like, okay, now I have a black friend, but now I'm, I'm weird because here I am and I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Within five minutes, everybody got over that because we realized this is the person you've been doing your pen pal stuff with. This is the person. Hello. Right. This person. And then it was good. So I've had from overall, my experiences with black people have been nothing but positive. But when you ask yourself that question, and I have asked other white women since that, the answers are very interesting because how you okay. grew up your experience, that all feeds into your attitudes and your, and your feelings. And we don't explore that. You know, we don't explore that. Like who has anyone ever asked you, when is the first time you knew you were black? Never. Well, when is, when is is the first time? Always a thing. Yeah. But did you you know always a thing? The minute your eyes open? No, no, absolutely not. Not from the minute my eyes are open, but I'm from the South, from South Carolina and a small town. It is, people will let you know that you're black. Let me just say that. I will never forget being in elementary school. And like, you know, very early on that you are black because you are the majority around white people. And so you notice that you look different. So I would say like elementary school, but it was really someone who, I guess you could say it was my first racial slur in elementary school. And I would say that would be, that would be second grade, maybe oh my God. seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But also too, like I was a competitive gymnast and I remember I started when I was six in first grade and I remember everybody there is white and I'm black. Like it, it's, it's something that honestly, I feel like when you're black, you already know coming out of the womb, like your family lets you know that, Hey, here's the ropes. Here's what it is. You got to be careful with this. You got to be careful with that. Like you're just almost 
already told to be like aware. Right. So I, I don't even, it, it's just, you know, you're different. Right. No, and, and, and I think this is the kind of conversations like to think that you're in second grade and somebody's going to take you out in second grade. They're going to start that yeah. and let you yeah. know. Oh no, you're not. You're not really welcome here. Thank you so much. You know, or you're yeah. not like me, and that's a problem, or whatever. You know, whatever they right. say. That's that is hard. Yeah, and even being exposed to being called a racial slur. I mean, like that early, you're like, what? <laughs> Were you stunned or had your parents, like, had your parents prepared you and said, there's going to be haters and you are going to, people are going to come after you? Like how, first of all, how old were you when they told you that? And secondly, what did, yeah, what did they do to prepare you? Yeah, absolutely. Your parents tell you. That's how you learn about, honestly, a lot of black history or um, discrimination. Like you're not, as a black parent, you don't have time to sit and wait on the schools to educate your child. And it's really to it. I feel like my mom notified me very early to strengthen me so that I wasn't caught off guard. And for me to have an awareness of my black is beautiful. Like it is okay that you look different and that your skin is different. Somebody might say, you know, people would say interesting things um, to try to let you know that you were black, um, or whether it was a racial slur um, or whether it was saying your skin was dirty. Like, I mean, Uh. you get it. You get it. I. I don't honestly remember what age my mom made that aware, like I was aware of that, but I I know it had to be first to second grade because I heard the first racial slur in second grade with the N-word and I knew exactly what it was. I knew that it was not something nice, but it it just goes to show that like none of us come out racist. It's like period. We don't, but what we do see color, like, because and that's a good thing. Like, it's okay. We do see color. Like, that's healthy. That means we see diversity. I see your color. I see you. I honor that. I respect that. I love that you are different than me and I am different than you. And that's what makes us different. And that's a good thing. So it's not that like you're not seeing color. It's it's understanding it, seeing it and respecting it. Right. And right. so, um, it, but, but I think. But this, even what parents, you're just saying makes me understand the anger. If you oh, are being sure. told since you are six years old, seven years old, that someone's mm. going to come after you and they have to tell you, like, people are going to say something because of the way you look different and they're going to, it's just going to happen and you got to be yeah. more careful and all this stuff. And then we're just, white people are just like, oh, but George Floyd, that's awful. There was a hundred George Floyds. Yeah. yeah. There was a hundred million George Floyds. This has been going yep. on forever. So, I mean, while I know in a way it's good that we're kind of, some of us are waking up and right. makes me understand the anger level that people have because it's like, hello? Yeah. Yeah. This is not new to us. That's why I tell <laughs> people, I'm like, white people are just waking up, but we've been awake for a long time and we've been screaming, we've been talking, we've been yelling, we've been kneeling, we've been all the things. And it's like, and still you don't hear us. It, it's hard. That is really, really hard. And I think, and you know what, Liz, let me even back up for a second. Not only do you are you prepared? You see it and like you learn about it from your parents. I remember a time, Liz, where my mom was, it was me and another friend and we are driving to go visit my grandparents. And um, my mom was driving and one of my friends was with me. And my mom, I remember her saying, like waking us up and saying, stay low, but I want you to see this. And I remember us looking up 
and we look out the window and there's the KKK having a full on like clan march, clan meeting. They're with the white hoods. They're covered. That was when it was, it was, the law was not against them not having their face covered. So their covers are down. The hoods are down, excuse me. And they have torches burning in broad daylight, walking through the square and having their march and the rally and the horns. Like, And so it's like, not only do you, your parents teach you about this, but you actually live it real time, Liz, where it's like, you're looking at this and you're seeing this going on. And as a kid, and even my mom, I can't even imagine what she felt like, but you're like, in my mind, I remember saying to my mom, like, oh my God, get us out of here. Like they can get us, they can kill us. Like what, what, I mean, can they do something? And like, my mom is like, just stay low. We're going to be fine. We're moving out of this part of town. But it's like seeing that as a kid, it is traumatic. It is traumatic. It's triggering. It's, um, it brings up anxiety and it, it brings up this sense of, wow, like reality, like this is not, we're not moved from slavery. Like <laughs> slavery might be over, but the real issue of racism and discrimination and hate is a very palpable thing. And it is happening right now at my age. And it's like, once you get that, you're like, okay, okay. And so you have these guards that are immediately like drawn up, right? Because not only are you hearing it, but when you have your first experience, um, I mean, I've had a kid, I remember, never forget like being a counselor at the YMCA and I was in high school, ninth grade. And I can remember a kid calling me a nigger. Like, it's just, this stuff is insane. But it's like, these things happen all the time. Like, they happen for different people at different times. Every Black person's experience is different. I'm only speaking to my experience. But what I know is, is that what we've all experienced as Black people is the trauma and the triggering and the pain from um, racism, discrimination, hate, um, systemic racism, which goes up and talks about, you know, redlining politics, all that kind of stuff, the, the things that are put in place to hold us down. But the point is, is that the pain is very real. And so I tell when I'm speaking in these white communities to white women who are genuinely wanting to step up and speak up and stand against and say, Black Lives Matter, what I tell them is like, listen, when, because one of their biggest fears is that I've heard over and over and over from white women is like, I want to speak up. I want to stand up, but I don't know what to say. And I don't know how to say it. And I'm afraid of being shot down. And hundred percent. And you know what? I get that. I, I totally get that. And I've had a lot of friends say the same thing to me. And listen, even when I started putting stuff out on social media, I told you, I was like, Ooh. And you know, I saw the followers go down and I was like, I just have to do this because it's who I am and it's what I feel is right. And you know, if people are yep. not, does, don't like me anymore, I, there's nothing I can do about it, but, but it is, you know, stepping out like that is stepping out. It's stepping out and you're, and you can be fearful about it. Yeah. And, and it's like, I told, I'll say two things on this. So one of my friends who is very much like, I am for this movement. I am a part of this. This will not become like a hashtag, a three week thing. Like this is now part of my messaging and my way to educate my community, my white community. And she's a white female. She's one of my dear, dear friends. And she said, you know what, Natasha, she said, I know when I step out, it is number one, it is a leap of courage for me. It is. And she's like, and I know when I step out, I'm going to be trolled. I'm going to be attacked. I'm going to lose followers. I might lose business. But she was like, honestly, though, Natasha, and she's like, and I know it's going to be draining. 
She was like, and I know it's going to be painful. But she said, honestly, if this little bit of pain that's like a flick of a fingernail that pales in comparison to the pain that you have experienced and countless other black people, then so be it. I will stand up. I will speak up. I will charge forward because this is what's right. And it's what I believe in. And my pain pales in comparison to yours. And my one little first step of courage, when you've had to take courage over and over and over and over on your back, when you go for a promotion and you know nobody wants you to get it, when you step into a room and nobody is there welcoming you in and you're there trying to pace yourself and make yourself fit in, she's like, so be it. So be it. And I think that's the thing is like, I've said this, to stand for something, you have to be willing to lose something. Because- 100%. Yeah. Because somebody's always going to have something to say about what you believe in. I mean, it could be momming, this, that. The world is opinionated. Right. So but it does is- pale in comparison because you know what? Nobody's got their knee on my neck. There you go. Nobody's that got one. their knee on my damn neck. So if, so, if I lose a couple followers and my friends think I'm losing my mind because I'm over here with my Black Lives Matter and posting all these things, I don't really care. Because nobody's got their knee on my neck. And until people stop putting their knees on the necks of black people, I'm not gonna stop. So I'm I'm I stand with you. But how do yeah. we how do we speak out as white women during this time and and, and maybe help us understand a little like what if we're met in anger? Because I mean I know that that happens. You know, some people are like, white woman, be quiet. Be quiet. You know, and I understand <laughs> that too. I understand that too. So tell me how do we speak out and what do we do if we're like met with, you know, anger. a lot of yeah. resistance and anger? I think that's a, a wonderful question. And it's one that I've brought and I brought up myself every single time I'm in a white community because the women that are on that call are saying, Hey, I want to be here. I genuinely want to know better and I want to do better. And I'm committed. To that. And so I have very real vulnerable conversations with them because I'm willing to do that for those who are genuinely willing to be a part of this. And so I tell them, when you are met with anger, here's the first thing. Like, how do you reach out? Let's go there first. How do you reach out? I think, don't overthink it. I think they're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Here's the thing. When you are leading with your heart and you're coming from a place of love, you'll never go wrong. Because as I've been hashtagging, heart, not hate. Heart drowns out hate every single time. And so if you're leading with your heart, you can know that you know that you know your intentions are good and that you mean well. And so that you don't have to be unapologetic. You don't have to apologize for that. Speak up, use your voice, go reach out to that black woman and say what's on your heart. And here's the thing. If you are met with resistance and if you are met with anger, this is huge. Understand this. Her anger is not directed at you specifically. It's about the whole issue of racism. It's about the system, right? We have to get that straight first. So what I'm telling white women is don't take it personal because what happens is you get met with anger and then you're like, oh my gosh, I tried. She didn't want to receive it. I am like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I didn't like her response and I am not saying anything again. And then you turn away and you walk away. But here's the thing. Let me give just one quick little lesson. Number one, that within itself is white privilege. The fact that you can get uncomfortable and that you can turn your back and walk away and never talk about it again, that is white privilege. I just want to drop that just for a second because we don't have the option to walk away from it. We have to deal with it. We have to process it. We have to walk through it. We have to heal ourselves through it, all those things. So if I can encourage you is that 
the first thing that you don't want to do is number one, walk away, turn your back on her. Number two, stop talking, stop speaking up, stop speaking out about it. What you want to do is, is you want to lean in to her and you want to tell her, and I say, you want to lean in and you want to love her harder. So lean in and love her harder. So what does that sound like? Possibly you need to speak your own words, but I'm all about some role playing. So <laughs> that's the sales coach in me. No, so don't. what you say is, yeah, you know what you say is, is that, Hey, you know what? I might not understand your pain and your anger, but I love you. I am here for you. I see you. I stand with you and black lives matters to me. Whatever your words are that again, come from your heart. Because if your heart is driving it, you can't go wrong and say to her, you know what? I'm okay. I will sit here and wait until you're ready because I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be over here educating myself. I'm going to be over here still speaking up. And I'm still going to be here when you're ready, standing beside you and ready to embrace you and be part of your healing. Because I realize I am part of the problem and I want to do better. She might come back and be like, thank you. I love you. But she's going to think about it. That's going to be in her mind because when you turn your back and you walk away, you know what that black woman says? You took your first little leap of courage and you got your feelings hurt and you're out. You didn't really care about this movement. You're really not about healing and changing this thing. You got uncomfortable and you ran away. And what it does, you guys, is it just bends the divide. It deepens the divide. So if you step forward, that's why I'm telling white women in these various communities I'm speaking in, if you step forward, you need to be about this journey. Don't step up and speak up because you feel pressured. Don't step up and speak up because you have a business and you feel like you need to put up a black square. Don't step up and speak up if you're really not about this journey and you're not willing to get uncomfortable, you're not willing to get in the mess, you're not willing to see your part for it, and you're not willing to love her through it. Don't jump in because this is not a hashtag. This is not four weeks of pain and these people getting, these black men getting killed, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd. There's another guy, Rashad. I forget what his last name is. Like all of these things are happening still. Yeah. In Atlanta, that just happened last week. And so you cannot jump on this if you think it's going to be quick and easy. This is going to take a lot of healing, a lot of conversations, a lot of reflection, a lot of learning and unlearning. And my belief is, is we are all part of this journey. For me, the way I see myself being that I'm an Enneagram to the helper is like, if white women are coming to me, how can I hold space to have these real conversations with them to let them ask the questions so that they can, then I can push them along and say, now you need to go educate further or you need to go to my website. I have a whole resource page called Heart Not Hate of all BLM resources on things to read, watch, listen to. Now you need to do your part and go deeper because it. this is years and years of deep history of learning that has to happen if you really want to understand. It's an unlearning. It's an unlearning. Yeah. It's both learning and unlearning, right? It's both of the two. And so if you're really wanting to do the work, then you have to go further. And then that's what I tell them. I'm going to give you this first. I'm like opening the door and then the rest is for you to go educate yourself. And the rest is for you to lead with your heart. 
And, and I'm telling white women too, is like, in order for you on you to understand, like you said, Liz, you had an awakening in order for you to understand her anger and her pain, you need to go get close and sit in the pain. You need to get as close to the pain as you possibly can. You need to watch George Floyd being killed. You need to watch when they see us or 13th or read the books or whatever that makes you uncomfortable. You need to go sit and get as close to the pain as you can, because when you get that close to the pain, then what happens is, is your heart has a reaction, not your head of what your parents told you or what you're afraid of losing if black people rise up or whatever your da, 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 name, the 20 million things that may rise up for you. But then your heart, if you are a person that has a heart, then your heart is activated, your defensiveness drops, and then it propels you into action. Yes. And that's why you want to sit and get as close to the pain because then you're going to see, wow, like you said, Liz, I understand why she's angry and her feelings well, are I'm not just wrong. beginning to understand. I mean, truthfully, I don't understand at all. And that's, I think the whole thing is that we're going to make mistakes. The most important thing I think is to really look inward and look at your personal experience, how you grew up. What did people tell you about race? What did you see about race? What was your experience? And think about how that affects everything you look at. I was not taught that there was one black person in history that did anything except Martin Luther King. Now, how could that be possible? How could there only be one black person in all of history that did one amazing thing? That's it? Just him? There's no one else? That is the way I was taught. Now, if that is my experience, imagine now me reading Stamped from the beginning. My head, I could almost saw off the top of my head and let my brains pop out. I'm literally like, excuse me, what? Like I, there is a lot of things I was taught, ways I was raised, things I was thinking. And then just like you were saying, that your silence is white privilege. Because I, if I wanted to tomorrow, I could have you on this podcast and I could drop it right there, girl. I could drop it right there. And you know what? I'm done. I see. I did it. I put her on the podcast. I look good now. Okay. I'm done. No, I could do that. I could do that and walk right away. And guess what? You can't. Right. You cannot. Right. That is white privilege. So everybody, once your eyes, once you start realizing that this is your responsibility, that this takes patience with yourself, patience with other people, soul searching, gut wrenching. I watched when they see us. I, it was so hard to watch that series. I had to pause to get my breath and tears under control because I didn't want to miss the story and just cry my boo-hoo my way through it. I was like, hold on, let me pause so I can continue on. It broke me inside thinking of these boys, the one that even went with his friend. He wasn't even, like he just is going along with the right and they send to Rikers when he's 16 years old. I mean, I just cannot with this. So I mean, it takes takes a lot. Yes, yes, it Oprah? does. With Oprah? Oprah? Yes. Yes. Where Unreal. you see the real. Unreal. That shows you, that shows you the deep pain and uh. the psychological destroying that that does when you do that to a black man and you break them down. You could see it out of like all of them. And all of them are so different, right? They all had such oh, different experiences time. and different mothers and different ways different people reacted differently to them. And 
were told different things growing up. And, you know, so it's, it, each one of them had such a different experience, all the most horrifying experience I could ever imagine, the whole exonerated five. But the, it was, I can't even believe they survived that. I can't believe mentally and physically they could survive something yeah. like that. And that they're just up there. I, I mean, I, 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 it blows my mind. Blows my mind. Yeah. And you know what? Not only did, I mean, they survived, but they're mentally entrapped. Like you could see it in the show with whether it was the anxiety, the PTSD, the, the stress, the f- still feeling enslaved in your mind. Yes. Your body may physically be here, but in your mind, you feel enslaved. So the things that you do, the things, the places you walk into or how you operate or how you're looking over your shoulder or what you say yes to, what you say no to, are you going to have enough to, enough gumption to go after the thing, even though, you know, everybody's against you and you think you're not going to get it. And it's like, it's also not just in the slavery thing is not just a physical somebody shackled. You can also enslave people mentally in their minds. Yeah. And that's what we have to understand is when th- what, what systemic racism is this, it is a down to laws, redlining, not having access to, to loans, not being able to be a homeowner. Um, I saw this quote on Instagram the other day where it's like, hey, you shoot our fathers and then you pick on us for being fatherless or having to be on welfare or this or that. Like people don't understand that's systemic when we're talking about laws, things that are meant to oppress us. So we don't rise up. And when you are constantly battling that there's in your mind, you feel either people feel defeated. They feel enslaved, trapped in their mind. It's this thing that you're always having to battle through when you shouldn't have to. And that is why I'm like, listen, anybody who is white is willing to have the conversation. I'm open because I need your voice. I don't need you frozen. I need to move you from heavy to hopeful. I need you to move forward in action with heart, not hate. You know why? Because my six-year-old son needs that. He needs it because the work we do right now, Liz, is what is going to either change his life and he's going to be dealing, either dealing with the same issue or not dealing with it. And it's like, I had a friend out of Idaho and she was like, you know what? She's like, I'm going to be honest. She's a former client of mine, has become a friend. She was like, you are my one black friend. She was like, I'm going to be like in Idaho where she lives, there's hardly no black people. And so she's like, but I see what's going on. And she's like, I want to have, and she's a leader in her community. She's like, I want to have these conversations in my community, even if no one else is talking about it. Even if we feel like we're in a bubble because nobody here in Idaho in her area is black. She was like, I want to have this conversation. And what I said to her, I said, number one, thank you for wanting to have the conversation. And number two, I couldn't agree with you more because you know what happens? She has kids. I have a kid. Your kids aren't, might not always live in Idaho. What happens when they grow up and my son grows up and they go off and they go to college and they happen to be at the same college and your son happens to be, or your daughter happens to see something or someone mistreat my son, will your son and daughter stand up for my son when he might not be able to? That is why it starts in the home, whether you want to realize it or not, it has to start in your home. It has to start in your heart and then it will start to outwardly change the world. Yes. And if we ignore that 
and we think that it is someone else's job or someone else's problem, or we are so over it and this, we should be, black people should be over it. We're going to miss it. And our kids are going to suffer. They're going to suffer. And my son, I want him to have the freedom to just be. I want him to be without judgment. I want him to be without limitation. I want him to be free. I want him to be a boy. And that's the part, Liz, that breaks me down because it's like, at what point do I tell my six-year-old son, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Be careful with this. Like, at what part? At what point do I have these conversations that should not be happening and that you won't have to have with your son? That's why there has to be a change. And we all play our own roles. And I think it brings me back to this quote, Liz. It says, I don't know who put this out on social media and people have been looking for who put this and I can't find it. So I can't give credit, but just know it's not my words, but it resonates with me deeply. It says, some are posting on social media, some are protesting in the streets, some are donating silently, some are educating themselves, some are having tough conversations with friends and family. A revolution has many lanes. Be kind to yourself and to others who are traveling in the same direction. Just keep your foot on the gas. Bravo. Oh my God. That was, that, that encapsulates it all. That, that's what I'm telling my white friends. Listen, however you decide to do it, do it. Step up, speak up and do it. Do I think it's great to have a stance on social media? Absolutely. Social media is literally what's bringing these injustices that have been going on and on and on and on to light where it's viral and people can't hide behind things. Even corporations, CEOs who are having a slip of the mouth with racist stuff, you're getting called out. Like, but this is a great place for social media. And it allows us to touch people that we would never meet in person that we could sit down and have a face-to-face hard conversation with. Right, Liz? Yes. However, your work does not stop there. Figure yeah. out your lane and go get in it and put your foot on the gas and keep your foot on the gas because we're all trying to head in the same direction. But what I cannot have you doing is, is getting distracted, trying to tell other people how they should be doing it or what they shouldn't say and what they da da da, or you getting frozen and you running out of gas because you are terrified of saying something. We're, then we're crashing into each other. We're not moving. And it means we're not staying in the lane, moving towards that direction and keeping our foot on the gas. So stop crashing all over each other. Yeah. By the way, revolutions are uncomfortable and this is a revolution, baby. Revolutions are not a dinner party with some nice China. Revolutions are uncomfortable. They take work. People are angry. People are crying. People are trying to ignore it. I mean, it is messy. This is a messy time. And it's a time to just be okay. It can that be messy. Is. We can yes. be okay in the mess right now. We can keep it going, but it is a process. It is not going to be fixed overnight. And if you're tired of this, imagine how tired black people are. I just want to say that to the listeners right now. If you are tired of this, mm-hmm. if you are tired of the talks and the protests and the racism and anti you're sick of it already. Think of how sick a black person must be of this. And think of how terrified they are for their children. You're not terrified. If you are white, you are not terrified for your child. I'm sorry, but you're not, most likely. Think about right. how terrified black people are for their children and keep your foot on the gas. That's all. Yes. You're right. That's right, Natasha. Keep your foot on the gas. Yep. 
I, I really appreciate you talking to me today. And Thank I know you. that people are going to listen to this and I'm hoping that they understand a little better kind of how things are. And thank you for sharing your feelings so that we can understand more. Thank you for having me, Liz. And listen, like I said, anybody out there, if you want to have a conversation, I am open because I need to move you from heavy to hopeful and I need you to take action with from a place of heart, not hate. And so thank you, Liz, for doing this. Thank you for being a voice that is wanting to stand up and speak out and that's saying no more. So thank you. I love you. I love you, lady. I love you so much. Okay, everybody, thank you for tuning in. This has been a special episode with Natasha Hemingway. And actually, Natasha's coming back because we already we already did another podcast, Natasha and I, all about her amazing yes. business, Heart Not Hustle. And she helps yep. uh, entrepreneurs find their, their true voice in selling with their heart and not hustling. And it's amazing. So yes. I'm going to have her back. So you'll hear her again. But I had to have her on now. And I'm just so appreciative. And I love you. I love you too. Okay. Bye, all.